You're listening to DraftKings Network. So, no, I'm not going to sit here and, like, I don't give you credit, Ken Holland, for thinking Evander Kane would be a good hockey player. You could get out of discount. Good job for being cost savvy. <laughs> anyway, anyway, what's your opinion? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan. It is a beautiful Tuesday morning. Uh, for most of us. <laughs> um, our beloved Sarah Sivian is recovering from just a wild and crazy full seven game series. She's going to be back with us next episode, but do not be concerned because we are joined by, and I cannot believe this was not accentuated in the last episode. She's one year older. She's one year better. We can't even express how lucky we are to have her in all facets of life. Shayna Goldman, happy birthday and say hi. Hi, thank you. We don't have to accentuate the one year older part. We can pretend that's not true. Best gift you got, Shayna, tell us. Uh, I got new Ultra Boost. They're sick. They're, uh, they're the two different shoes. And like one of them, they're, they're like black with like neon blue, neon yellow, neon pink. And then they have different accents on each side. They're really cool. I feel like you're gonna have to post a picture of this for the people. Yes, they're they're very nice. I only got three pairs of shoes this year, and I like feel good about that. Like I don't have to rearrange my closet. For for those of you who don't oh know, Sh- Shayna has a shoe problem. Just so yes. you understand, how many pairs are we up to, Shayna? Do you know? I donated like a dozen, so I'm around like sixty, and I have only purchased two pairs in the last year, and I donated for them. The rest have been gifts. <laughs> I've been good. I, I, I didn't add, and I did not add, I would like to add, I did not ask for shoes. I did not ask for anything. The shoes appeared. Yes, but I mean, come on. We all know you want the shoes. <laughs> I didn't know what the fuck I wanted. Everyone's like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. Nothing. Nothing. If I want things, I buy them. Leave me alone. Give me a day of peace. Well, speaking of actually all of us knowing nothing, <laughs> we're, we're, at the, we're at the conference finals, friends. Um, we're going to do a quick uh, recap of, of where we ended up um, with the two outstanding series here. Um, and at the beginning of round two, Shayna, Sarah, and I gave our predictions. And we were very bad. Um, <laughs> none of us got either of the Eastern teams by oh any God. stretch. Um, None of us got even the number of games correct for the Eastern series. In the Western series, coming in as the lone wolf, Sarah Sivian predicted an Edmonton win. But she did say it was going to take seven games, which it did not. So we'll give Sarah that point. Shayna and I both got Colorado right, and so did Sarah, however... Shayna and I win a point there each because we both got the number of games correct as well. So uh, trust us, we know hockey. <laughs> My dogs did better than I did. Zuki got three out of fucking four and Kona was two out of four. I mean, and Kona had Edmonton and Colorado originally. Meanwhile, I'm over here flailing. I'm just copying their picks today. <laughs> so anyway, um, it has certainly been a wild and crazy series and perhaps Two of the most interesting games, and well, there were a few games uh, since we last talked to you, but there was a really crazy, insane game that ended the Colorado-St. Louis series. Uh, Long story short, a late goal on the road propels Colorado into the Western Conference Final. They will, of course, be playing the Edmonton Oilers. We'll get to that in a second. But Shayna, talk us through what you saw, what led to the ultimate victory there for Colorado over the Blues. It was a story of unlikely heroes. You had Jesse Comfer's brother coming up with two big, uh, two big goals, channeling her game, you know, clutch moments when it matters the most, like she can do for Team USA. So we'd love to see that. And then Darren fucking Helm. I mean, I would bet you there'd be so many people you would ask what team is Darren Helm playing for, and they'd be like, I don't know, Detroit still. Like, they would not know. And here he is scoring the game winner in a game when you have McDavid, I'm sorry, McKinnon, Landis Cog, Branson in. Kadri, Nichushkin, need I continue? And it's 
Darren Helm, the line that gets the least ice time of any Avalanche line, you have to change the filters to find their numbers because they've played so little this postseason. And yet, that's that's who's responsible for the game winner. Now, Shayna, is this, in all seriousness, is this a statement on why you need depth in the playoffs? Or do you think this is just right place, right time, lucky that and again i'm gonna take it any nhl player is elite compared yes. to the rest of us but it, but is, what does this make a statement about what a team needs to keep advancing or not so much in your opinion not too much like this is a good like their fourth line is very good defensively but really does absolutely nothing for them offensively so it's nice that they shock the world with the goal i think the thing is that they were the the line a smart team like the avalanche i feel like we kind of pump up their coaching decisions a lot and a lot of teams would be like why is your fourth line on in these minutes like they at least wanted to extend the lead and that line went we're gonna do more than just that so I think it's like a team strategy thing too like there's enough confidence in that line to go out there and not just defend their own end and they like were able to step it up so that's great and wonderful but would I count on that no so Shayna with that being said now Colorado advances well you know what let's do St. Louis first you know all we talked about was St. Louis this season was, you know, they had 8,006 20-goal scorers. They had a really, really, really lethal power play. Interesting dynamics happening in goal for them with Bennington coming back here in the postseason after more or less losing the starting job to Billy Huso. What are the takeaways for St. Louis? Where do they go from here? What do you think they need to do? I'm so curious about how they handle the goaltending situation. Billy Huso is an unrestricted free agent, and Jordan Bennington has a contract that's going to be so tough to get out of. And I'm not even sure they do want to get out of it since he was the goalie they turned to when it mattered most. And, you know, if I'm St. Louis, I would want Huso as my starter above all else. But I feel like he's going to walk, so then it's finding a good 1B or backup for Bennington. And it's just building that defense. You could see, obviously, injuries play into it. Tory Krug didn't play at all in that second round. But you need you need more than just if one defenseman falls or two that your entire blue line doesn't fall to shit. And yes, they had players step up. And yes, I think Scott Prunovich is a good player and he's going to develop into an important role. I know he's someone that's really valued in the organization. But like, you need a couple more defensemen and ideally someone who can move the puck for that top pair so it's not Marco Scandella with Colton Pareko. The Blues, a team named the Blues without a blue line. The irony. The irony. Who, which, okay, so if you had your pick, Shayna, which goaltender, if you could control all the variables, which goaltender would you want, Bennington or Huso? Huso. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, it's hard, right? Because in a way, Bennington showed stronger later, but if you look at the regular season body of work, too, and um, who was, Jeff Merrick was talking about this, too, is that Billy Huso was actually the goaltender that was supposed to be called up when Bennington was first called up to the Blues, but Huso was hurt. And so, in a way, Bennington's opportunity was supposed to be Huso's. So, who, which one really is the better goaltender? But yes, all things considered, I would take Huso as well. Any other thoughts or direction you have for the Blues as they hit the links? Maybe their, uh, their uh, coach could use a, a lesson in some public relations or their PR staff could use a lesson in teaching their coach what to say when he's in a press conference when there's important things. Yes, we're going to get to that. We're going to have a news <laughs> episode uh, coming up here this week, kind of catching up on all the themes of round two, and that is on our agenda. So we call that a tease. Good job, Shana. Good job. <laughs> Um, All right, so now let's flip over to Colorado, the team that does still remain. And, you know, it's interesting. We talked about this a little bit, too, with Tampa of what we saw. What was exposed in Colorado's game? What are they going to have to shore up before they take on Edmonton? Or do you think that they're just going to have to stick to what's been bringing them success so far? I would say 90% of sticking what's bringing them success. I think they need more from Miko Rantanen. He's the one player who hasn't flourished as much which is why for game six we saw McKinnon go play with Landis Cog and Lekkinen and then Nichushkin and Rantanen got Kadri. I like that they have like the two pairs on the top you know and you just switch centers and that clicks and it shows their forward depth and that they did actually prepare for this which is so important they want to make sure their line combinations work so they can make adjustments who knew um but they need Rantanen to be better and they need Darcy Kemper to look like the Darcy Kemper of the regular season like he had some tough numbers in the beginning of the year and really bounced back and thrived all season. I feel like no one, you know, talks about him as that top-tier goalie in the league this season. I think he's up there, not the best, but he's up there. And in round one, he was good, though not challenged. And then he did get the eye injury, and 
I don't think he was, you know, above average through most of the series, which is unlike him from the season. So is it the playoffs that's affecting him? Is it the injury? Is it something else? Like, that's the one area of concern because they're playing a team that can generate offense better than either of their round two opponents. Is there any secret? What did we learn when we watched Calgary not be able to beat Edmonton? Is there any lesson of what is going to work against you know, and this is the thing, like this is remains my opinion. Edmonton is not a dangerous team. They have a few really elite dangerous players, but they obviously can make that work when everyone's clicking. Are there things that we learned from the Calgary series that Colorado has to keep in mind? Maintain your defensive structure that made you successful all year. I think we could look at what Calgary did or didn't do offensively and I think at times they did struggle with the matchup. Like, they went for power versus power when they should have just separated. You know, I know they wanted Lindholm against McDavid, but maybe just have gone backland against McDavid. So let's be smarter with that. Like, how do you contain McDavid enough that maybe he gets a point or two, but he doesn't absolutely crush you? But it was defense that killed them, and their goaltending could not handle it. You know, Markstrom, I think that too. Is that a lesson in should we not be seeing goalies start 80% of the games in the regular season? There's a reason teams trended away from it, and look at – is that why he fell apart? Like, I don't know. But I would say maintain defensive structure. Well, you talk about goalie, Shana, and that leads right into <laughs> the story of the other series that ended just last night. And in something that absolutely no one saw coming, if someone did, I don't believe you. Seven games, Carolina loses to the Rangers. There was a lot going on here. Let's start at the series level first because this was a whole there's there was so much narrative on the Twitter last night of oh, well, the Rangers haven't had to play against a top-tier goaltender and meanwhile they have Igor Shesterkin, arguably we all believe to be the Vesna winner for this season when the awards are announced. Where did the power or lack of power of goaltending play in to this series going the Rangers' way? I think, look, we know Louis Deming is who the Rangers got in round one, and I do think that does, it, it fucks with your head, I would imagine, if you're going, this should be easy, and then it's not. And there were ways that Deming beat them, you know, the right-handed catching against the at things like that, and, and they weren't testing him enough, and teams play differently when they have not their starter in net. You know, you can play it a little faster and loose if you know you have a little more stability. Antiranto was fantastic. You know, yes, he was bad in game six, and sure. But otherwise, he was really good throughout the entire series. I think we were all happy to see him healthy and thriving. And yes, it would have helped them to have Frederick Anderson. But it's not like Ranta was playing poorly. But this is completely different. Now they're going to get an elite goalie who maybe you grip your stick a little bit tighter because you're worried about how do you figure out a way to beat him instead of struggling if you're not beating him. I feel like it has to be two totally different mindsets, but no, Antiranta was was really good for Carolina and kept, oddly enough, kept them in some games, which is not what we saw coming given the Rangers' five-on-five play this season. And can you, I mean, Shana, you've been talking about this the whole season, obviously, but Igor Shosturkin has been incredible. Like, how much, can you, we have numbers that we'll talk about this too, but how big of a deal has Igor been in getting the Rangers to where they are right now? Uh, he's been a huge deal. I mean, you talk regular season, best goalie in the league by a huge margin. And you could look at the workload he faced and how he responded to it. And I think, you know, that's obviously encouraging. And yes, in round one, he struggled. Everyone wants to point at games, you know, three and four. But as much as he struggled, he had no support. And the biggest thing was how did he bounce back from it? And he did, obviously, which is a big reason they're out of round one. But in round two, he, he was outstanding for them. There were so many games that it was, you know, you're asking for Shesterkin to be the difference maker. Um, I have the series number right here. I'm just trying to, like, scroll for it because we did the preview. And he brought he has 15.8 goals saved above expected in 14 games and 11.4 goals saved above expected just in seven games against Carolina. Last night he saved over two goals. So... That, you know, that's the difference maker. That's a goalie that's giving the Rangers. He had a quality start in every single game, and he's stealing games. And to explain that, so basically we can look at shot quality and estimate how much a goal a team should score. And so the numbers that you're quoting, Shane, is saying the Canes should have scored this many goals, and yes. actually they didn't because of what Shesterkin was doing in net. Do you see this as his trajectory, or is this going to be a single season and now we have to see what comes next for the player? 
I think it's asking a lot to have a player match this elite level, but I think this is what the Rangers knew he could do. You know, it's not like his success has only been at the NHL level. He was great in the KHL. He went to North American Ice and thrived in Hartford behind a disastrous defensive team and then joined the Rangers and has been good, you know, the first year for that second half, last year, and now this year. And this year was the biggest test for him because he's never played 53 regular season games. He's never played 53 games in a year, period. I think the most coming into this year was 45 games in a single season. So now he's putting up these numbers, and ideally the team in front of him will actually improve both defensively and offensively. That doesn't have to be this game breaker, but this is an elite goaltender in his prime. So there were some other narratives. Obviously, we see uh, some injuries. We'll get to those in Game 7 in particular. But the Canes could not win on the road. It was insane. And it wasn't just that they couldn't win. It was literally like a tale of two teams. They dominated home, and then they they couldn't even... I mean, Game 6, I thought, was honestly embarrassing for Carolina. Do, do you, you know, Sarah has written on this. Sarah has talked about this. And Rod Brindamore said last night after the game that, you know, Carolina just still doesn't have those elite goal scorers. Do you have an opinion on what's going on? Why, why was this Jekyll and Hyde for the Hurricanes the minute they're away from home ice? It's so odd because it's not just like they were unlucky. Yes, they didn't have the matchup game to their favor. And the Rangers really did poorly when players matched up. Like Jordan Stahl matched up against Mika Zibanejad did hurt the Rangers until Game 7. So... And even in Game 7, they were still like the shot advantage, but they were managing to break through. It was, you know, a different scenario, I think, with the desperation and things like that. But the difference in their playing styles, like at home they were playing the game that we know them for. You know, they can chip it into the offensive zone, beat their opponents in the corner, play a lot more physical, and thrive with the forecheck that's defined them the last, like, two years versus the track meets that we saw on the road where they were playing so much, you know, so much off the rush. Like, have you ever seen something like this? Because I can't remember a time where I looked at it and was like, I, it's not just, oh, you're unlucky on the road or something, but it's you're playing a, com- a completely different style now against two teams in the playoffs on the road versus at home. Like, do you have any thoughts? I, I mean, it's insane. And what I, I mean, again, everyone's raw after a loss like that and after a series like that. But I, it's, Rod Brindamore is probably the only coach that can get away with those kind of post-game comments and basically say your players that you have <laughs> aren't good enough. I mean, that's base. And, and he didn't say it in a shitty way. Like, let's be clear. But like, I, I, it's surprising to me because he strikes me as someone who, you know, we always hear how Rod Brindamore teams play like Ron Brindamore. And so yeah. again, like the flip of it, I've seen, we've all seen teams where they just can't get it done on the road, but it's more of a, a measure of margins, not what has happened like this. It's just crazy. Um, we would be remiss if we also didn't talk about, um, Auntie Ronto would leave the game, in my opinion, while that sucks for the player. I think the game was already decided, with all due respect to the goaltender. But the bigger issue was there was a big open ice hit by Jacob Truba on Seth Jarvis. And what was, listen, we're going to talk about it in two parts. First, there was an incredible amount of debate as to the legality of the hit. And people... If people like Shane and I put out a gif of the play on Twitter, we are not expressing an opinion. You do not need to argue with us. We are not the coach. (laughs) We are not the officials. We are not the Department of Player Safety. Please start telling me why you think I got the call wrong when I actually made no call at all. It's so neutral. Exactly. It's so neutral. And Sorry to cut you off. We both put out moving pictures constantly of plays. And when it's something controversial, I think we both do it the same way. When it's a big hit, a big penalty, we state the facts. You know, if it's it's a goal interference call, the Rangers score a goal. It's immediately challenged for goal interference. Here's a stat or something like that. After review, the call is X. There are no opinions. Here's Jacob Truba's hit on Seth Jarvis. I think we had the same exact caption for a couple reasons. We're not giving our opinions on that. And I think that when we do give our opinions, it's separate. And I know, I know, like... When you're the one putting out the moving pictures on the internet, it does help other writers if the tweet is, I guess, a little more bland and a little more descriptive because we do know this is going to be used 100 times for people who aren't clipping video. It's going to be embedded in stories. So it does help to have it be very simple that they can use it and you add your own commentary. You can thread on it. You can quote tweet it, whatever. We're just stating what happened. Nothing more. 
It, it, and, and listen, folks, I, I appreciate that you are a fan. I appreciate that you are concerned about your player. As Seth Jarvis is obviously a huge part of that Hurricanes team. But if you are going to start arguing your case, let's, let's deal in facts because there's nothing worse than coming after someone or, or you know, saying this and that and the other thing if you're not watching the game or whatever. It just it was crazy. But th- there was a lot of debate about the hit, which we will talk about here first. But to me... And the reason I thought that hit was so important is that that was the, what was it, like 10, 20 seconds that turned this game. Yep. Jarvis goes out. Because Jarvis goes out and he's literally crawling to the bench, Carolina commits a too many men infraction, which, <laughs> the irony, <laughs> the irony. Um, because they commit a too many men infraction and get busted, they go on the penalty kill. Because they go on the penalty kill, the Rangers end up scoring on the power play. It's the 2-0 goal, and it felt like, the dagger to me so it wasn't just the legality of the hit it was that that was the sequence that decided the game first and foremost Shayna, your take on the sequence as it went down and am I overstating the impact of it no you're not we were texting about this that that felt like the turning point of the game and I was a little disappointed that it wasn't framed as such on the broadcast. Like, I do know, like, Ray Ferraro first thought it was a broken skate. And I did, too, based on the way that Jarvis was crawling off the ice. That's what you would think in that instance. And they didn't show the hit. But even then, it felt like it took a while for them. And then it was like, oh, yeah, that's a turning point after the fact. Like, I wish it was framed differently from the start. I wish there were more angles of the replay, too. It took a while. The first replay wasn't great. And then, you know... I, I like to see, I don't like to sit here promoting injuries and I don't like when there's something so super, super gruesome to be like replayed a hundred times, but I do think it was important to show that from more angles so we could understand it better. And I think maybe it would have been viewed as the turning point a little bit more in commentary on, you know, in everyone's opinion when they were reacting to this, had it been framed as such at that moment. Um, at that point, the Rangers were already one for one on the power play. And the, the Canes have an elite power kill. We know that. So if the Rangers can find a way to beat that, which they did that game, it's it's a momentum swing, you know, and now they, ha- they can go two for two. That's the moment. If the Rangers didn't score on the power play, maybe it wouldn't have been. But the second the hit, you know, the hit happened, Jarvis is hurt. You're like, okay, potential moment here. Rangers score. You're like, that's it. That might be the game right there. Yeah, and I, I'm with you because I think, you know, one of the things, and I please understand that I'm in part in this business too. I'm nowhere at the level where I'm calling games live, but part of your accountability is to see what's happening and share with the viewers what they may or may not see and look at the bigger picture. And I feel like what drew, what drew the hit was bad enough as it was. What drew my attention meter off the charts right away was the reaction on the bench. Um, Jarvis was clearly not okay in that moment. Um, and, and I was actually surprised because usually a broadcast team, particularly at this level of play, you have three people involved. You have play-by-play, color, and then you have a between the benches. And maybe that's part of it. So, you know, I'd, I, I would have liked to see that come along more. Now, the hit itself, Shana, do you have an opinion on... There's obviously a history with Truba. There's obviously very strong opinions about the player. Um, what do you think of the hit itself? I'm a little torn on this because I do think, like you said, Drew, not going to get the benefit of the doubt and he hasn't earned that. Do I think he meant to break Jarvis? I'm not so sure. Do I think, here's the thing. I look at these hits and I hate hearing the word clean hit. Call it a legal hit. There's something that I cannot get past, even if it is a legal hit, to hear clean hit, and here's a player who just got their brain shaken up and is legitimately hurting. There's nothing in my mind that's clean about it. Whether or not it's legal, different conversation. And this was something I was talking about with my friends, and one of them's like, I do always call it a clean hit, and I get that, and agreed with me, while one of them was like, no, it's a clean hit, it's a clean hit. Like, yes, no one's one's debating that. Do I, like, I don't, I think he was aiming for the shoulder. I do, it did look like maybe he caught the head a bit, but again, would have liked more replays, would have liked more angles of this. Um, Did I love the hit? No. But do I think that Truba can play an effective game if he can walk the line a little bit better? Yes, and I do think he needs to be careful of that because I think it will catch up on, catch up with him, whether it's players retaliating or something suspendable because I think, if he does it and another player gets injured, I would be surprised if player safety doesn't stop in, you know, step in at a certain point and be like, you have to rein it in. And if the Rangers lose him, they're in trouble. They don't have a good replacement. So 
What are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm, so I'm with you, and I think this is the bigger problem I have with hits, is that there's, okay, fine, it was by the letter of the law a legal hit. The thing is, no two people's brains react the same. And that's the danger of these upper body hits, is that you, me, Jacob Truba, Seth Jarvis, and freaking Billy Huso could all take the same hit and all be at different degrees of impact on our bodies and our brains as a result. And that's part of the problem, to, as you're saying, like you can look at the legality of the hit, but do we need to be in a space where results or impact matter? And in a way, as much as I'm very, 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 very concerned about CTE and players' brain safety, can we ask a player to judge making a play based on possible impact to an opponent? Um, you know, and I think, you know, if... Here's the thing, if that hit had gone down and Seth Jarvis stays in the game, would people have been raging about the hit as much? You know, and that's, yeah. that's the, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying we need to realize that's what we're reacting to is the result. And maybe the challenge is, and I don't know how you do this, I really do not, how do you define plays such that it protects against the worst possible results? And there's just so yeah. many variables there. Yeah, and like, like you said, would there have been the reaction if Jarvis wasn't hurt? Well, Truba did hit Domi, and people didn't like it, and Domi was healthy and stayed in the game, but Domi was going down. But the fact that it was Truba was what raised the red flags, even though at that moment he was there was there was only so much you could do. you know. And I get it. We could say, well, these are trained professionals that at the highest level. They should be able to you know, know when to not hit. And sometimes there are times like they commit to it. And and on the flip side, there are times where you could say there are players who don't protect themselves. I know it was against the Blackhawks this year. And uh, I can't remember who Truba hit. And he went off on a stretcher. The player was looking down at the puck and he put himself in a vulnerable position. Do I think Truba should have figured out a way to stop himself? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if he tried to and still collided, I think it would have been a different conversation instead of just blowing him up. And I think that there's a difference there. But the onus is on both players, but I have a hard time looking at it going. A player, like a player's not asking for that. And as much as the player needs to protect themselves on the ice, and they do, the player who's making the hit does need to be aware and, and kind of recognize, I know it's a split second and it's at a high speed, like what can they do to avoid it too if that player is in such a vulnerable position? Um, what did you think about the hit on Lindgren though? The one that he got injured on, somehow returned to the game. I thought, I'm like, he's done. He is, I literally said, I'm like, He's done, right? That that's it. This man is held together by duct tape. He is done for the playoffs. It's there's no way he's coming back from that. He couldn't even put weight on his leg, and that is he is a tough fucker. And I know everyone's gonna go, "What a warrior!" And I really hope he's not doing any permanent damage to himself playing through this. But I was shocked he returned to the game at all. I thought he'd be done for the playoffs. So, but that hit, it did look like he got hit right in the numbers. I thought that should have been a call. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, again, this is this is the thing. Like, what was the outcome? And we even hear this, we hear commentators say this all the time, well, the player returns to the game, now they're probably not going to get the, the, you know, the attacking player isn't going to get a call from player safety. Like, it all matters. Right. And, like, teams, you know, measure that into what they do. I just, and we're going to get into this. We're going to get into, um, when we've got Sarah back with us, we're going to get into this whole play through anything mentality and whether it helps or actually hurts. But... You know, too, at that point, like, does he have to return to the game? Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, just, just, you're good. <laughs> you're good. Or even after he returned, you know, it was late in the game, they're protecting a lead. Don't play him. Well, exactly. I know you don't trust your other defenders. But, and, and the funny thing is, so I'm watching the game of my boyfriend who is, doesn't care about the playthrough. He, you know, he has mixed feelings on it. And there's sometimes I agree with him. And there's sometimes I'm like, how, how, like, how have you listened to me for years and still have these bad opinions? <laughs> um, <laughs> But even he was like, why is Lindgren playing? And this is someone that is like as superstitious as it gets, rooting for the team. His whole life revolves around this. And he's like, what? just just bench him at the end of the game. It does not matter. Just let him rest. And that was it. I, I'm sure he wants to play. Sure. I'm sure every player wants to play, especially a player like that. I'm sure he did not want to miss a shift. But at a certain point, you have to manage his workload because he's not going to manage it for you. And why risk anything further, especially when – it looked like that was a bad leg injury. Somehow it wasn't. I, I don't understand it, but, like, don't don't play him unless you have to. Like, the game is most likely in hand. If things change, that's another story. That's right. But just let the man rest for four seconds. That's right. 
All right, well, any other thoughts on the surprise outcome of the Rangers advancing to the East? Oh, I have a thought, and okay. we've hinted around this, and I really, it, for some reason it really dialed home to me last night, and you know I'm a big fan of Artemi Panarin's game, but yeah. what are we doing? Or what are we not doing, I guess I should say? Like, a non-factor right now. Yeah, no, it's wild. It's totally wild. Like, I think on the power play, he's looked a little better as of late because he's a little more willing to shoot, even, and, and he is shooting a little bit more, just to give that, like, look, we have more dimension, and look, he's not only going to pass, even though he more likely is going to pass, and rightfully so, because Fox can shoot from the middle, or Panarin, you know, or Zibanejad, who's the best shooter there, you know? But at even strength, it's really concerning, and it's interesting the adjustments they have and haven't made. Like, they have kept Cop there, and if one or two of them is hurt, like, that's going to be a question based on how the regular season ended. Like, those were the two players who missed the end of it. And they did try to make a tweak at one point, and they put Alexi Lafreniere with Panarin, and the line ain't shit. They never played together before. It's not surprising that, oh, it didn't click. They lasted two periods together, and I think the next game had a period together. So, sure, they played one complete game, but it's like, it's really odd. Like, Ryan Strom actually, you know, he got on the score sheet last night after, I mean, how he did not score on that first chance. It was as Ryan Strom as it got. This is a player who is haunted by empty nets, and, you know, he made an impact right there on the same shift, but you expect Panarin to, and he's come up with big goals, and that's the thing with an elite player. They cannot be at their best and still show up on the score sheet. That was the case with him a lot of the regular season, but against Tampa Bay... They're going to need Kreider, Zibanejad at their best on that top line, and they need Panarin, especially because we've seen throughout the playoffs, especially if the Rangers don't control the home matchup, that Zibanejad and Kreider are getting the toughest assignments in terms of who they go up against, and you know other teams are matching their shutdown lines to them, and they're getting shut down at even strength, and you need that you have a second line. They're lucky the kid line's clicking because Panarin's line is not the game-breaker that you anticipate it to be. A million percent. And we'll break down that Eastern Conference final for you tomorrow. Just Oh, wait, can I, can I ask you? Uh, what, I don't this know. Is, what this can is you good. ask me? Uh, may I ask you? <laughs> <laughs> you may. Um, so Panarin's talked about a lot. And I did see some commentary like, oh, is he not good in the playoffs? And I feel like we've touched on this before, but you would know better than anyone. It's not me just bullshitting, whatever. You watched him in Columbus firsthand. And we're in work mode, analysis mode, which is, I feel like, different than casual viewing because you can kind of breathe and relax. But So you know how he is in the playoffs. Like, How would you describe his play in the playoffs? Do you think he's an impact player? Do you think he doesn't handle heavy hockey in the postseason? Like, What's your take on everything? Well, I mean, in, the reason Artemi Panarin is so special, in my opinion, is that his, he is one of those players where he demands that you notice him on the ice whether or not he is necessarily scoring, as you said. And, you know, when I think about how he plays, he his ability to maintain possession and drive play and anticipate and then make plays is what makes him special to me. And so that's where last night I was kind of like, I haven't noticed him at all. And I don't need to notice him scoring. I don't need to notice him getting points per se, but I'm not noticing him. And that's because those are the things, those are the qualities that I think make him valuable. And he can be a huge part of the postseason. He was when he was with Columbus. He was a big part of that series against Tampa Bay, the sweep. And then he was one of the few players who was able to keep momentum going when Columbus played Boston and really started to lose a lot of their other impact players to injury. So, you know, and, and this is a guy, if I was funny, someone posted this last night of going through the handshake lines, Columbus versus Tampa. And Panarin gave all those guys so much shit. Like he was like faking out Kucherov and all that. Like it was, he's a, he's a sprightly little jokester. Um, so I think he's going to take this seriously. It'll be very interesting to see how he, res I mean, again, I'm not saying you don't get up for Carolina, but this, I think Tampa Bay might hold a little bit extra for him. Um, but he has not been himself, but he can be an impact player. That's, that's why he's making however millions of dollars a year it is now. <laughs> yeah, 11, exactly. six. So one more question yes. then. The quote everybody saw was how he said he can't do stupid shit at the blue line, which I'm sure, knowing the Rangers and their style at the beginning of the year, it was like, you need to simplify your game, blah, blah, blah. And I think to an extent you apply that to the team, sure, but players like Savannah, Jad, Fox, Panarin, you say, go do your fucking thing and let it be. How do you coach Panarin in the playoffs? Do you tell him to... to uh, 
simplify it. Don't do anything crazy. Don't take as many risks. Do you think that's happening here? You know, John Tortorella, we all think of as this traditional coach when we know how how should Panarin be coached in the playoffs? I mean, I you know, it's it's a good point. I think that maybe it is if he's being told to quiet his game, if you will, that that impacts the way it realizes itself in all ways. And I'd say, is it because of who he's playing with? But, you know, his first few seasons in New York, he's been able to be Panarin as Panarin and be an impact player and adapt to varying degrees of, of who he's got on his line. Um, I, I would let him go, particularly against Tampa, because you need his creativity to help challenge Tampa Bay. But I'm not a coach. <laughs> He should be, but, you know. <laughs> um, a few notes, and again, we'll preview the East in full uh, tomorrow. But uh, with this win, the draft pick going back to Winnipeg for Andrew Kopp for officially goes up to a first round. Do I have that right, Shana? Yes. yes. And then also, in an interesting wrinkle, because I saw when I saw the schedule come out and they said game one in New York, I said, wait a minute, What? And it actually came down to regulation season wins. Shout out to our friends at Evolving Hockey for posting that on Twitter. Um, they crowdsourced that information. But it is the differential that New York had more regular season wins that gives them home ice, if I'm stating that correctly. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure the people will tell me. Oh, yeah, of course they will. I think you're right. You All know, right. I thought initially I thought it was points, and then I'm like, well, they were ahead there too, but no, wins. Which, either way, guess either what? Way you, get, ahead. you get points when you win. Well, yes, but I'm saying overall <laughs> points, not including like including overtimes and shootout losses and things like that. Like yes. they were ahead either way, even though they were both the second seed. It's just funny you think about. It, you're like, oh, <laughs> the Rangers have home ice over Tampa. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to yeah. me. All right, let's move on then. There is another series that does, in fact, start tonight. It's the Western Conference Final. This one has eight. We actually talked about this before we started recording. We're like, which narrative should we pick? And we're like, there's just too many. Um, it is Edmonton at Colorado, Western Conference Battle Royale. Pick your poison. Is it McKinnon versus McDavid? Is it McCarr versus McDavid? Is it a battle of goaltending? What is is where does Evander Kane pick pick a narrative, Shayna? I'm not picking that narrative. <laughs> Which okay of the many narratives, what are you most excited to watch? I love the McCarr McDavid matchup because that's the two best players of the playoffs. But it's the Mick matchup. It's Connor McDavid versus Nathan McKinnon. Give it to me all day. I said I was going to throw a fit. If I didn't get it, I fucking got it. I'm not throwing a fit. If it's boring, I will throw a fit. So we still have a thread out there because we need, you know, I need to keep you all on your toes and make you <laughs> let everyone know I'm going to lose my mind some way or another. But no, I think, I think like, obviously, we don't even know if they'll be matched up against each other. You know, will they go power versus power? And there's a lot of reason to, because if you're going to stop Connor McDavid, you need someone who can skate. And we know Nathan McKinnon can stop and vice versa. And I think it's interesting. Um, and we'll see how that shakes out, because I really, I really don't know. Colorado has so many great options. And no matter which top six line goes against McDavid, they have... Arturi Lekkinen, one of the best defensive forwards, who's a total disruptor. And then you have Val Nichushkin, who's a legitimate Selkie candidate, who can now finish on top of playing, you know, his style of play, one of the best at taking the puck away from opponents and just being defensively sound. So either combination, it's not like you're going to lose something defensively. But, like, for me, as much as I do want to see McCarver's McDavid and the two of them can stay, skate and everything's wonderful, you have two of the best forwards in the league going head-to-head. And yes, you can say, well, the regular season McDavid, uh, McKinnon did this, and yes, we know he was dealing with injuries. But when I think of the series and I think of players who can take over games, I'm thinking of McDavid, who was one of the best players in the playoffs so far. And then I think of McKinnon, who really did elevate his game in St. Louis and break through that Ryan O'Reilly matchup. And I just think it's so ex exciting to market two stars of the game. And yes, you could do that if it was McCarr too, but... Two stars of the game, head-to-head, -head, leading forwards. I think that's so exciting, and that's what we want the league to do. We talk about marketing. People know Nathan McKinnon. He should be marketed against Connor McDavid. I, I think it's going to be super fun. Did you see his What about you? Did you see his quote about escrow? Oh, my God. I love So I, you know I'm a nerd that loves contract yes. stuff, and I like talking about escrow and taxes and all that. And I saw that. I was like, hell yeah, Nate. So to be business savvy. So for people who didn't see it, and I, I, I would presume it came in the last day or two. I did not actually see the actual date of the statement. 
But yeah. McKinnon was asked about the narrative of going up against McDavid, and he said, quite frankly, he didn't care as long as it generated TV revenues, which would hopefully help escrow situation for the players. <laughs> well, do you see the graphics with McDavid versus McKinnon being like advertised? Did we know the NHL had it in them? Like, look, it's actually, it's actually should be catching eyes, and that's the thing. I don't think Kyle McCarr is not catching eyes. We all know he's one of the best, if not the best, defenseman in the league this season, but there's a name recognition that Nathan McKinnon has rightfully earned over the last few years that the casual fan might know versus Kyle McCarr, and they will learn Kyle McCarr. And I'm not even saying players have to wait their turn. It's just if you're the NHL and you want to bring in the casual viewer, guess what? Nathan McKinnon versus Connor McDavid should be what sells. And then you hear shit like that from McKinnon, and, you know, he's – in so many ways, the face of the team, you think of last year when they got eliminated too. Who's the player that got all the tough questions and is dealing with it? It's Nathan McKinnon. Who this year has the most quotable lines? Like, it's still Nathan McKinnon. And it's, again, nothing against Makar, but this is a business. We'd like to see revenues grow. We'd like to see hockey gain popularity. We complain it doesn't. Nathan McKinnon versus Connor McDavid is it. And one of them has a lot more personality than the other and is showing it. But I want to see... I, I, Sarah said it, Connor McDavid earned her respect because he actually showed a shred of personality in, in game five against Calgary. Like, there's two players fired up. Like, come on, that's good. What narrative are, do you think is the biggest bullshit narrative that people are trying to put out there? Hmm. I mean, the goaltending one, I just, like, I don't trust Mike Smith. As good as he's been, and I can admit it, he has been. I don't trust him, and, like, Darcy Kemper has to be better. But, like, I don't know. I'm kind of bored about that. Uh... I don't know. What's the shittiest narrative? That's a good one. Because I think both coaches are good. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Oh, oh, I'll give you one. Oh, here we go. Evander Kane's redemption arc. God, fucking burn it into the ground. Like, it's horrible. I'm sorry. We can sit here and talk about Evander Kane being a good player. I have no issue with that. He has been good. He has been effective. Do I think that a lesser player would benefit from Connor McDavid's passing? You can see some of like the sauce on some of the passes that are going across the slot perfectly to his tape. Like, I think a lot of players would play well in that position, but we've seen McDavid also play with some replacement level players and not have the same results. So it's not like Kane isn't helping facilitate McDavid's game. No one's saying that, but like... He's playing with Dreisaitl and McDavid. It's not even just one or the other. He's playing with both. Like, come on. And we still have to keep in stride the human side of things, just as, like, any other player we would. And we don't need to sit there being like, look at what he did for... Like, there's so much to go with and so much to unpack, and we've talked about it a lot, but it's like, come the fuck on. Like, if you want to talk about the villains of the playoffs, uh, Duncan Keith has a million reasons to be. Evander Kane has even more some fucking how. And you can find negatives about more players on that roster and then talk about management too. So it's like, as much as everyone wants to be like, look at Ken Holland, he knew what this team needed. Ken Holland didn't get a team a fucking goalie and he's lucky Mike Smith isn't burning him and when he does and does something stupid, which we all know will happen, somehow Markstrom absorbed that from him last round, then we'll be like, damn, Ken Holland, why didn't you get a goalie? Because he put himself in a shitty position from day one. So, no, I'm not going to sit here and like, I don't give you credit, Ken Holland, for thinking Evander Kane would be a good hockey player you could get at a discount. Good job for being cost savvy. Anyway, anyway, what's your opinion? Well, well, what do you think? I, listen, I mean, I, I think you make some excellent points from a marketing uh, perspective, but aside from the, the glitz and the glamour, I, I, the legitimately I'm interested for the entire Avs versus McDavid. Yeah. Like, that's what I want to see because we continue to talk about how talented McDavid is, and he is. He is elite. But can they quiet him? If so, how? Because I really do think it's not just going to be McKinnon. It's not just going to be Makar. It's going to have to be systems. It's going to have to be execution. It's going to be staying healthy. So I'm really curious to watch how that battle shakes out. Um, we did this last time, so we're going to do it this time just for the Western Conference final here Shane and we will get to we will be honest we will get Sarah's prediction before the puck drops tonight we promise and we'll share it with you tomorrow but Shana your prediction for Colorado Edmonton who wins and how many games my dogs both picked Colorado when I did their picks after round two okay and I would like to trust them okay so I'm going with Colorado I'm going to say 
Seven games would be exciting. Does it go to seven? I'm going to say this goes to seven. Oh. I'm, I'm going to say it. Okay. Colorado wins it back on home ice. Okay. Um, and I want to add, who do we think is the MVP of the round? And oh, maybe we like, quantify this by like game score. No. Who do you think is the player that we're not talking about, though, enough in the matchup? Like, for me, I look at it, and I'm like, I could see a guy like Lekkanen and Landis Gog, like, really stand out. But I feel like Taves is the I was I'm just like, going to say oh, Taves. I love it. You, could you imagine if the Islanders had a defenseman like Devin Taves? I was just going to say Taves. Big fan of his. And this is a player, too. When he was called up by the Islanders, my friend was so hyped. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, he's been in the minors for a while, and I feel like maybe there's a reason, like, defenseman peak and – why didn't they trust him sooner? And I was like, I didn't think he would be as good just based on, like, his timeline. Yep. And then I watched him play because I didn't watch him much in Bridgeport. You know, I, it's not my job. Um, I saw him play, and I was like, damn, he's really good. And then you'd see how he's dragging, like, Mayfield along. I'm like, okay, he could be elite. And then you see him break out, and I'm like, oh, he's better than I thought he was going to be. So, yeah, he's the player we're both watching. Yep. So, Taves. Shocker. We share, we share the same opinion. We have the exact same decision. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I am also going to pick Colorado, but I, just for being different, I'm going to say, okay. tempted to say five, but no, Ooh, I will say I like six. It. I will say six. Okay. I will say six. And we will get Sarah's pick. We will share it with you tomorrow when we're back. Um, we will get it before the series starts. We are honest people here at the Too Many Men totally. podcast. Totally honest. Totally Everything honest. We, do, we are so honest. <laughs> no cheating. Uh, please, uh. Be sure to, to watch, um, if you haven't seen already on social, if any games are going to overtime, we're starting to do some giveaways related to that, so watch for that on Twitter. Um, but before we wrap, Shayna, before these finals get underway, we end every episode with a little game of Fuck, Mary Kill. And after the way that round two went, we have, as we saw with our lack of picking properly, um, some different outcomes than maybe what we expected. So today's Fuck, Mary Kill comes courtesy of... Steve Stevers on Twitter, and he proposes fuck, Mary kill, schadenfreude, underdog victory, or best team winning. Go. I'm going to, I'm going to marry best team winning. I do, I like chaos, but I like something to like the team, but like I like to see Tampa Bay win because they were built in a way that we wanted to see them succeed because that's what you should be taking note of and I think sometimes when a team wins and they're not built as well it's like you're taking the wrong thing from it and I think it can set the game back I will kill the underdog mentality which is again a little surprising because again I like chaos the thing is I feel like so many people are so upset if you say a team is the underdog <laughs> Ranger fans and Blues fans like I think being an underdog is a good thing I think it adds spice that's why you play the game and I think it's wonderful but it's like People seem to forget what it means when an underdog wins. They can be the better team, but they were the underdog for a reason, and it just blows up into something it shouldn't be, and it takes the fun out of it, so I'll kill that. And I will fuck... How do I say it? Shouldn't... God. So I write, not speak. <laughs> Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Good job. I will... Yeah, thank you. I will fuck that because, like, you know, <laughs> it's fun to see, like... <laughs> um and no i think sometimes like you could see like things go wrong right and it's like people take joy out of that and i think that's all like fun and exciting but sometimes like it's too far like i don't know you shouldn't root for another team's demise over your own team's success so it's something that it's like you can dabble in it but you don't want to fully commit so you're fucking did that. i sound enough like a five-year-old no in this? that was good i feel like no, that I was did. good listen you're learning german one word at a time i'm very proud of you yeah. very proud of you yeah um I am probably going to actually, shocker, Luke Mann, go the same. I'm going to marry best. Oh, I'm this never happened. <laughs> this really never happens to fuck, marry, kill. I'm going to remember this moment. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to marry best team wins because I'm going to be honest. I didn't dislike Tampa, but I was kind of over them. And they have okay. legitimately, like, I'm invested now in them doing this. Like, not that I'm rooting for that. Colorado's still my pick. But, like, yeah. I'm impressed. Like, this is this is a thing that's happening, and it's we've never seen this, and it's pretty damn cool. Um, we've never seen this in our lifetimes, I should say, before you all come back yeah. at me with your Islanders and, and things of this nature. Um, I'm going to fuck Schadenfreude because it's so much fun. I'm not going to lie. And uh, there is nothing worse than seeing the team you hate or really don't want to win 
win. So I'm going to, to do that. And I'm going to kill underdog because, and I'm going to sound like an old person here, but it really, I mean, the Stanley Cup is just, it's such a process. Like, I'm fine with a little bit of luck, but I'm not fine with it being all luck um, and not a certain degree of being earned. So that's, those are my picks. Those so are. if Nashville made it this far, we would be pointing to them. I feel like it's different with... Yeah, 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 totally. You know, like Tampa, was Tampa the underdog against Florida? Like, yes, I don't I even think know, so. like, where they, like, you know. You wrote was, a preview. Nice. What did you say? I mean. Hold on, I'll look. I know by the numbers that, like, Florida was the better team, and then you consider, like, injuries and whatnot, too. But, like, did anyone view Tampa as the underdog in that series, truly? Like, when you factor in, like, the men- the mental aspect of it all? Well, you and Dom, Lushishan, had them at a 34% chance to win that series. Yes. But we also, like, we know the Panthers, like, how they were playing in the playoffs and, like, you know, the narrative of it all. Like, could you say, like, oh, that's an underdog? Like, I don't know. Like, does anyone consider the Lightning an underdog? I don't know. Maybe that's not a good example of it, but, like... No, if Nashville was sitting here beat yeah, Colorado, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd be like, get the fuck out. You don't belong here. Totally. Totally. All right, friends, uh, we appreciate you as always. Thank you so much for listening. As I mentioned, we will be back tomorrow with a look at the first game from the Western Conference Final, a preview of the Eastern Conference Final, and then coming at you after that, in the next couple days, we're going to go back and look at those major headlines, and boy, do we have thoughts uh, from round two. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter at 2 underscore much underscore man. Be sure to check out our website at TooManyMenPod.com. And you can always check out our merch. There's links there. There's links in our Twitter bio and all those good things. And in our show descriptions, it's time for summer. It's hot. It's very, very hot. Get your favorite beverage container of choice and represent Too Many Men at the same time. Until then, Shana, have I missed anything? No. And you kept me on the rail, so, you know, how does it feel to have just me I love disrupting it. you? I love it. But you, you, we all now see Sarah is our, is our beautiful, witty, hilarity critique. Uh, we miss her, but she deserves some rest. We'll see her tomorrow. She'll see you tomorrow. And until then, be good to each other. Don't accept racism. Don't accept, accept sexism. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.